Well, today is Super Bowl Sunday. Tonight, the Super Bowl will be played in Atlanta, Georgia, and thousands of screaming fans will be watching, cheering their teams on, and it's sad, isn't it? Because the World Series was played in November, and that's even way, way better and more important, and nobody was screaming and hollering for that. No. There's also going to be people who are there in this stadium that really aren't going to be into the game. In fact, their, their teams aren't even anywhere near the Super Bowl. But they're going to have fun nonetheless. But it's those diehard fans that I really like to see and pay attention to and watch. You guys know who I'm talking about? You, you remember when the Arkansas Razorbacks made it to the College World Series? We won't talk about how that ended because that was bad. But there was a fan sitting in the stands. And he had been there for a long time. I mean, just followed the Razorbacks, not just in baseball, but throughout sports, basketball, football, all kinds of stuff. He's always decked out in red, and man, he's sitting back there hollering and screaming at the team and hollering and screaming at the umpires. You know the kind of diehard fans I'm talking about? I mean, these are the kind of fans that if the Super Bowl had been played in Chicago and the Bears had actually made it to the Super Bowl and it was still negative 27 degrees, these people would have shown up bare-chested and painted, ready to go. They would have gone numb. They would have risked their lives to cheer their team on because they loved them. They were just crazy about them. In fact, as the time begins to approach nearer, this isn't so much fans of a game, but it's a people who like or adore or appreciate or love others. They'll even do some crazy things. Valentine's Day is coming up soon. You'll see guys go crazy to show girls how much they love them, right? You'll see girls do some really bizarre and weird things just to show a guy, hey, I, I like you. But here's the question I want to ask you today. As you think about the Super Bowl and the crazy fans that pack stadiums and paint their chests, and as you think of all of the ways that boyfriends and girlfriends and husbands and wives and maybe even anonymous crushes show each other that they love each other on Valentine's Day, I want to ask you this question. How do you show God that you love Him? How do you adore Him? How do you come into this relationship with your Creator in such a way that you demonstrate that you care about Him and that you know He cares about you? If you would, turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 10 this morning. We're going to look at verses 12 through 14. And the idea that these verses present is simply this. Your Creator wants you to love Him for your own good. Your Creator wants you to love Him for your own good. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12, 13, and 14. Now Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you? But to fear the Lord your God and to walk in all of His ways and love Him, and to serve the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul, 
and to keep the Lord's commandments and his statutes, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the highest heavens, the earth and all that is in it. Father God, would you bless this time today as we look into your word? Would you help us to see how much you love us? Would you help us to live lives of love towards you? It's in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. In these verses, as we see how our creator wants us to love him, we see that he wants us to love him for our own good. In fact, that is very explicit towards the end of verse 13. God made us. He made every single person who has ever walked on the face of this earth, who is now walking on the face of this earth, and who will ever walk on the face of this earth. Not only has he made people, but he's made the earth that the people live in and dwell upon. Everything belongs to him. He is our creator. He made you, he made me, and he made the world in which we live. And because he is creator... He has a great plan and purpose for our lives. That plan and purpose can only be realized when we respond to Him in faith and in love. Our Creator didn't just make us and say, go figure it out on your own. He longs to live in relationship with us, to help us enjoy the life He's given to us here on earth, and to help us know Him because it's in him that we find meaning, purpose, and significance, not only in this life here on earth, but also in eternity. Our creator wants us to love him, and it's for our own good. So before I talk to you about how to love God, really I need to kind of set that out there. Why should you love God? Because you will not find meaning, purpose, happiness, significance, anything of eternal value in life if you don't know the Lord who made you. That's why you should love God. But the question for Christians is not really why should I love God. We, we know to do that. It's more of a how. How do I go about showing God that I love Him? How do I actually live in relationship with God in a way that He knows I love Him? In these verses, we're given five verbs. And in these verbs, we see attitudes and actions that we can take to communicate our love for the Lord. In these five attitudes and actions, we also see the benefits we receive when we express our love to God in these ways. The first is this. We love God by fearing Him. We love God by fearing Him. That might sound kind of strange, but let me explain to you what it means to fear God. To fear God means to have a reverence for Him. It means to honor Him in your life. In fact, this Hebrew verb is used in the Old Testament not just in connection with fearing God, but with fearing parents, with fearing leaders, with fearing oaths or promises, 
with fearing commandments, fearing the sanctuary, the holy place of worship for the Lord. It's used in a negative sense when the Lord tells his people, do not fear other gods. And finally, it's used fearing God himself. This fear means to have a reverential awe of God. And here's how this fleshes out in our lives. When we take the attitude of fearing God, we demonstrate that we love Him. Think about it this way. I've got this little fellow at the house. I know I tell stories about my kids all the time, but God teaches me things through my kids. And one in particular I've had to learn a lot from. He's a little three-year-old, blonde-headed kid, and we, uh, I don't want to call him out, but his initials are Branch Anderson Genrich. And man, a little Branch, whew. There's times when Branch does not know the dangers around him. There's times he just doesn't realize what is lurking around the corner and is ready to take him out. Or what he is just completely oblivious to that's not around the corner from him but right in front of his face and he doesn't know I don't need to do that. Examples include cars driving down the street, water filling the baptistry. We discovered him up there a couple weeks ago if you guys didn't know that one. Some pastor left the door unlocked up there. Anyways, so we've had these moments in life where Branch wants to play in places he shouldn't play, like the road. Or he climbs and explores places like the baptistry where he shouldn't be by himself. And he's not scared of cars. He's not scared of the street. He might be scared of the baptistry now after Stephanie gave him a, a talking to. But he wasn't scared of that either. What are you going to do if you fall in? Get out. He can't swim. But he's he's going to get out somehow, right? He knows no fear. Tell me, is that really a healthy thing, to know absolutely no fear? No, it's really not. I had a sixth grade uh, teacher who was uh, a bivocational pastor. He had served as a Marine years before. And he was talking to us one day in class, and he said this, I remember it. The person who's not afraid is the person who's going to do something stupid. It's just the truth. You're not afraid of what you need to be afraid of. You're going to do something rather foolish. But here's where Branch's lack of fear about these things has taught me what it means to fear God and to love Him. Branch isn't scared of playing in the street until I come out there and say, Son, you will not cross this sidewalk again. You're not going to play in the street because if you do, and a car's coming past, this car's going to hit you. Do you want that to happen? You laugh. I talk to him like that. No? That's a good thing. When he climbed up into the baptistry, don't call DHS on us, by the way, please. When he climbed up into the baptistry, um, and Stephanie got to talking to him, and Stephanie said, Branch, you cannot come up here again. You do not need to be around water by yourself. You do not know how to swim. If you fell in this water, you would drown and die. Do you want that to happen? 
doesn't. Now, here's the thing with French. He's just like any other three-year-old or any other 30-year-old. Sometimes he's a little too thick-headed to get the point. So there's times when he's still not really scared of water in a tub or a street. In fact, this kid wants to touch lava. I mean, we've tried to explain to him, and he, you can't do that. But there are a couple of things he does fear. And this is what's neat about this. He fears mom and dad. He fears dad because dad has a really nice metal spatula you can use on the grill. It does wonders. Cooks burgers and it also helps your kids obey. So uh, now here's the thing. There's times when Branch doesn't know of the danger that's around him. But because I love him and because I want to help him know what he can and can't do, I'll tell him in that dad voice, Branch, no. Most of the time, he'll listen, right? This is the kind of fear that these verses are expressing we should have for the Lord. It's not an unhealthy fear when we're just scared that God's waiting up in heaven to zap us for disobeying. It's a fear that is respect for God and what he is and what he says. That is, God has our good at heart and in mind. He wants us to obey Him. And when we fear Him, when we respect Him, and when we know this is what God has said, and I'm going to obey because I'm scared of the consequences, then we realize how much God loves us. And God also sees that we love Him. When we fear the Lord we experience the benefit of his protection. This is amazing with Branch. When he listens to his mother and father because he fears them, he experiences our protection, right? When he doesn't fear and he decides to go outside the love that his parents have for him, he also exposes himself to all kinds of dangers of which he's many times not even aware when we fear the Lord, we show Him that we love Him. And when we love Him by fearing Him, we experience the benefit of His protection. Let me show you the, the difference between this good fear and bad fear. If you've got your Bible open or you've got your, your Bible app up on your phone, go over to Luke chapter 12, verses 4 through 7, just real quickly. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus is teaching His followers what it means to fear the Lord. And first he will talk about a healthy fear of God. And then he will say that you don't need to fear because that's unhealthy. You ready? Luke chapter 12, verses 4 through 7. I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who after he is killed has the authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Is it a good thing to fear that God will punish sin? Oh yeah, you better believe it because he doesn't want you to spend eternity in hell. That's why he tells us not to sin and that's why he also tells us when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We ought to fear God in that sense. 
But then in verses 6 and 7, Jesus says, have a healthy fear. He says, are not five sparrows sold for two cents? These sparrows were often, uh, uh, what is that thing called? When you barbecue something and you run the little stick through it. A skewer, that's what I was looking for. Uh, these sparrows were often skewered and then cooked in the marketplace. And five of them would have been sold for two cents, right? It's like Jerusalem fried chicken. So they would cook these things and they, they'd sell them for cheap. This is a meal that people would afford and they could buy in the marketplace. And Jesus says, are not five sparrows sold for two cents? Yet not even one of them is forgotten before God. These things were not valued in the marketplace. They were just an extra snack. They weren't looked upon as something precious. And then Jesus says this, Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't fear, because you are of more value than many sparrows. That is, God the Father holds you in great value and significance. That's why he talks to you. That's why he loves you. That's why he wants you to live in relationship with him. He wants you to fear him, to respect him. He doesn't expect you to be scared of him all the time. With Branch, I want him to, to fear me in the sense that he listens and obeys. But I don't want every time I go to the kitchen that he's going to think I'm getting the spatula out of the drawer to spank him. That's not a healthy fear. When we fear the Lord healthily and appropriately, we experience the benefit of his protection. That's an attitude we ought to take to show God we love him. But here's an action we ought to take to show God we love him. The second verb that's found in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 through 14, is the verb walk. When we walk in the Lord's ways, we show him that we love him. When we walk in his ways. Andrea Lennon uh, works with our Arkansas Baptist State Convention um, and does all kinds of neat things for ladies' ministries uh, in churches across the state. She came to a chapel at Williams Baptist University uh, this Wednesday and spoke in chapel. Stephanie went out there and she was telling me about what some of Andrea had shared uh, uh, there at Williams. And this one story kind of struck me as a perfect illustration for walking in the Lord's ways. She talked about how when she was younger, she was following, it was grandmother, grandfather, grandfather, right? grandfather through the, through the garden. And she didn't realize what she was doing at first. But, you know, Grandpa had his, his boots on. He's bigger and heavy than little granddaughter Andrea. And so he'd be stepping in the dirt, going through and watering the garden. Well, she was just kind of following right behind him. And she was putting her feet in his footprints. I mean, she, her feet, footprints were so small that they weren't making the big print in the dirt like her grandfather's were. And she didn't weigh a whole lot as a child, so she's just sitting there walking, or standing there walking through, following in his footsteps. This is what walking in the Lord's ways ought to be like. We're following in his footsteps. That is, we're going after the Lord because he has gone before us. When we walk in the Lord's ways, we love him. There's a hymn in your hymnals. I used to sing it growing up quite a bit. We sung it here a few times. It's called Trust and Obey. Listen to the lyrics of this hymn. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. Let us do his good will, and he abides with us still, and with all who will trust and obey. 
There's not a burden we bear, not a sorrow we share, but our toil he doth richly repay. Not a grief or a loss, not a frown or a cross, but is blessed if we trust and obey. But we never can prove the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay. For the favor he shows and the joy he bestows are for them who will trust and obey. Then in fellowship sweet, we will sit at his feet or we'll walk by his side in the way. What he says we will do, where he sends we will go. Never fear, only trust and obey. We fear God in the sense that we respect him, but we don't fear that he has our best interests at heart. If you'll walk with the Lord, you'll know that he is with you. In fact, when we walk with the Lord and show him that we love him, we experience the benefit of his direction. We experience the benefit of his direction. Did you know that if you will follow the Lord as he leads you in life, there is not a place you will go where his presence will not be? Is that not wonderful to think about? There is nothing that you will face that is so difficult that God cannot go with you there. In fact, he's gone before. If Jesus Christ bore the cross on his back and marched up the hill to Calvary to die for the sins of the human race, tell me where it is that God could not go and be with you if you'll walk. If you'll just walk with him, follow in his steps. God doesn't want you to wander around aimlessly in life. He wants you to follow in his steps. He wants to give you guidance and direction. He wants you to feel his presence and know that he is real and is right there with you. When you walk in the Lord's ways, you love him and you experience the benefit of his direction. Here's the third attitude. This verb is central to these few verses. It's the third in the middle of five and it's a simple one. There's nothing else attached to this verb except a direct object, him, referring to God. To love him. Now this might sound strange or redundant, but if you want to love God, you have to take an attitude of love towards him. That is, in order to love God, you've got to just love him. I'll give you an example of a conversation I had with another one of my children a few years ago. I like to put my kids in bed at night most of the time when they're listening to me, right? And, uh, and I'm laying Mordecai down in bed. And he looks up at me and says, I love you, Daddy. That was good. But I, I thought, I just, I want to see what he says. Son, why do you love me? And here's, here's his response. I mean, no thinking about it, no deliberations in his mind. He just said, because you love me. That's pretty good, isn't it? Why do you love me? Because you love me. Now this is what's amazing. When we love God, we realize all the more His love for us. In the New Testament, over in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, we read this. In this is love. Not that we loved God, 
but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. I mean, think about it. There is a perfect heavenly father and there are sinful people on this earth. What kind of sinful person who's not going through garbage and trial and hardship in life is not going to cry out to a perfect heavenly father and say, hey, could I have some help? Yeah, anybody would want a great and good heavenly father to love them. But we find that that's not where love starts. In this is love, not that we loved God, but rather that he loved us. He sent his son to be the sacrifice for our sins. While we were still sinners, Paul would say in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, God demonstrated his love for us by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. And then we read in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, that we love because he first loved us. Is that attitude present in your heart and in your mind towards the Lord? A genuine love for him and toward him. In order to love God, yes, you actually have to choose to love him. Do you? And here's, a, here's another action we are to take. We're not only to, to fear the Lord and to walk in the Lord's ways and to love him, but we are to serve the Lord. In fact, Moses is speaking here in Deuteronomy to the people of Israel, and he tells them to serve the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul. And when you think of serving, and when you think of serving, especially in connection with this Hebrew verb, a lot of times you think of physical action. And Moses no doubt had that in mind. That is, to serve God with the physical abilities he has given you. But Moses goes beyond just telling people to serve the Lord with all of their strength, and he tells people to serve the Lord with all of their soul, with all of their heart. Why would he do that? Because he knows that to labor for the Lord doesn't just require the right action, it also requires the right attitude. Moses wasn't just concerned with what people were doing, he was concerned with why the people were doing it. I mean, for example, you're here at church this morning, right? Do you always have a good attitude when you come into this building on Sunday? By your laughter, I'll take it as a no, right? There are times when we know we ought to serve the Lord. We ought to show up for worship. We ought to give. We ought to sacrifice. We ought to help in this way that somebody's asked us to. But do we always want to do that? And this is the matter of serving the Lord with our heart, all of our heart and all of our soul. The Lord wants us to do work for Him. But even more than that, the Lord wants us to want to work for Him. That is, the Lord's will is for us to be willing to work for Him. I remember having lunch with a guy named Wade McFadden here in town. He works at uh, a physical therapy place. Just r real good guy. And we had gone to Polar Freeze because he'd never been there. He'd worked in Walnut Ridge for years and never been to Polar Freeze. So I had to help him share the joy of fried pickles at Polar Freeze. And so we're sitting down for lunch, and a guy named Ed Taneyhill comes in. Everybody know Ed? 
he's been around a long time. If you don't know Ed, I mean, it's, it's Walnut Ridge, right? And, uh, and Ed's a painter. He's painted for a long time, and he likes to talk a lot. He likes to talk as much as he likes to paint. And so we're sitting there eating lunch, and Ed comes up to us, and, and he's talking. Um, and so he knows who I am. I've talked to him a few times before. And so he meets Wade. He's talking to Wade. Wade's telling him what he does with physical therapy. And, uh, and then he starts talking to us about how he got into painting. The first job he ever did as a painter was painting the underside of a bridge. He just fell in love with it. And then he made this statement. I thought it was really good. He said, boys, life is too short for you to do something you don't like doing. It's pretty good, isn't it? Life is too short for us to serve God in misery. He didn't want that for us. In fact, there is more joy in doing God's will, God's way, than in doing what you want your way. And the Lord knows that. That's why he wants us to serve him with all of our heart and with all of our soul. Because that provides a satisfaction. In fact, when we love the Lord by serving him, we experience the benefit of his satisfaction. That is, he gives us fulfillment when we find our purpose in life. So here's what that means, just a couple points of application here for you. There are some of you who are miserable serving the Lord in this church. And it means one of two things. Either your heart and your soul are not into what you're doing, or it could be a very real possibility that you're doing the wrong thing. Did you know that? If you're doing something you don't like to do in serving the Lord, maybe it's because you're not doing what He wants you to do in serving Him. Maybe you're serving the Lord because that's how your mom served the Lord. And maybe the Lord wanted your mom to serve Him in that way, but that doesn't mean you have to serve Him in that way. Or maybe you're serving the Lord because you just are a yes person and you say yes to everything every time anybody needs help. And so you just do all of this stuff but you're not doing what all God wants you to do with the right heart and the right attitude because you're doing way too much. You're doing things that he never wanted you to do in the first place. Things that he's wanted someone else to do. You serve the Lord, but you serve him with all of your heart and with all of your soul as well as your strength. Do what God wants you to do and want to do what God wants you to do. Life's too short to serve God in misery. And then fifth, and finally, we love the Lord by keeping His commandments. We love Him by keeping His commands. Throughout the book of Deuteronomy, God's provision for His people is linked directly to His people's obedience. In fact, if you're not familiar with the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy is really a single discourse that Moses, God's chosen leader for the nation of Israel, gave to the people at one time. You know, so Genesis records all of these ancient parts of human history. Exodus records the time period where Moses was raised up as a leader to the time where the people of Israel go out of Egypt and are making their way to the promised land. Leviticus is a bunch of instructions for the priests and the people about how to live in relationship with God. Numbers records all of these wilderness wanderings and journeys over a period of several years. But Deuteronomy is there all at one time. Moses is speaking to these people. 
And over and over again throughout this address, he links God's provision with the people's obedience to God's commands. I don't have time to to read through all of these verses, but just think of these references, and there are many more in Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 12 through 13, verses 14, 28 and 29, chapter 15, verse 10, chapter 15, verse 18, chapter 23, verse 20, chapter 24, verse 19, chapter 30, verse 16, God is telling his people, if you will walk in my ways, I will bless you. If you will bring the first fruits of your crops as an offering to me, I will send the rains upon your land. If you will obey your parents, you will live long in the land that I am giving to you. If you will treat the alien and the foreigner with respect and love, I will take care of you. Over and over again throughout this address, God's provision is linked to his people's obedience. In fact, when we keep the Lord's commands... That is, when we remember them, keep implies that we remember and that we also act upon, right? So we keep by remembering and acting upon. Keeping means obey. When we do that, we experience the benefit of his provision for us. That is, he provides for his people. He meets our needs. He takes care of us. And here's what's so interesting about loving God by obeying his commands. Our obedience to God is not driven by tyrannical oppression on his part. Nor is it driven by motivation to manipulate him on our part. I mean, think about this. God loves us. And he doesn't force us to love him. That would make us robots. God loves us. We love him, but we don't force God to love us. That would make God a genie in a bottle. That's not how God operates. That's not who he is. God loves us as a father loves his children. We love God as children love their father. Obedience to God's commands is not something that is in opposition to love for God. It's something that is a manifestation of love for God. In fact, over in John chapter 14, verse 15, the New Testament, Jesus told his disciples this, If you love me, you will keep my commands. Now, this isn't like uh, little, little girls in grade school going, Well, if you really loved me, you'd let me play with your favorite toy. You'd give it to me. That's not what God's doing. That's not what we do to the Lord. The Lord is simply saying, I've given you these commands for your own good, verse 13. When you obey these commands, you are demonstrating your love for me. So when we fear the Lord, we experience the benefit of his protection. When we walk in the Lord's ways, we experience the benefit of his direction. When we love the Lord, we experience the benefit of His affection. When we serve the Lord, we experience the benefit of His satisfaction. And when we keep the Lord's commands, we experience the benefit of His provision. Now I'm going to ask you a question. Do you love the Lord? Jake, yeah, 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 I do. 
Now let me ask you this. If we looked at those attitudes and actions in your own heart and your own life, would everybody else be able to see that you love the Lord? Would God himself say, yes, you love me? Or are we simply saying that we're God fans? We're there. Yeah, we love God. We come to church. Yeah, give some money to missions. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll do this. We'll do that. Or do you genuinely respond to God with affection and commitment? Do you show that you love him in the way that you live your life? Do you trust him? Do you listen to him? Do you obey him? Do you want to be with him? Do you love God? And he's worth loving. He's worth loving because he loves you. In fact, he tells the group of Israelites here in Deuteronomy, did I not choose you out of all the people of the earth to love you, to care for you, to provide for you, to make my promises known to you and through you? In the New Testament, we find the fullness of that revelation, that God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. God loves you so much that he sent his only son to this earth to die on the cross for your sins and to rise again to new life. So that you could be forgiven of your sins and experience eternal life with him in heaven. Do you love your creator? He loves you and he wants you to love him.